Thank you, Gene. Good to see all of you. Um, man, driving up to church today, uh, just coming south for me on the 57, I was so distracted by the beautiful mountains, I was looking in my rearview mirror, I think all the way here, and how white it was. And I don't think I've ever seen this much snow, but it's, it was so nice. And uh, we have a little break today, a little blue skies, which we are accustomed to. And so it is nice to worship together. So good to see all of you. Um, as you are uh, praying, also, I just want to ask you to remember to pray. Um, Pastor Jun, John, and Bobby, they are in Japan, and uh, we're kind of checking out a new uh, ministry opportunity there, and, um, uh, you know, and they want to make sure that the sushi is okay for us when we go in the summer. So pray for them, that it's okay for them. Um, but they're, they're there till like, this week, and... Uh, uh, we're excited about that, and uh, we're, you know, Japan's one of the countries that's a uh, big burden on, on my heart, um, where um, the, every time I've gone, uh, the ministries there are, are struggling to get the gospel, and the, uh, the amount of people who believe in Christ is so low, uh, and so, but yet, they're very receptive when we come from the States, and so we want to keep going and sharing the gospel, so uh, we're excited about um, we're looking to try to have two teams in Japan this summer, and so we're excited about that. All right. Today I wanted to talk to us from this story that we read. We read uh, like almost 10 verses, and there's a lot of details, and it's not the most popular of stories. And yet within the story, as I was studying this, I, uh, one of the lessons I learned from was the lesson of what happens to us when we gain some wealth and the two responses of wealth. Now, I know everyone here is thinking, well, oh, this doesn't you know, apply to me because uh, I'm not wealthy, you know, and I, I'm, I'm still struggling to get by, and you should see so-and-so, they're wealthy. Or you should, you should, you know, my uncle needs to hear this, he's wealthy. And we might know someone who is wealthy, and we might not count ourselves to be the wealthy ones, and yet, in perspective, just by where we live, if you have more than one car in your family and you have more than one room in your house and uh, you, you eat three good meals a day, you are, we are wealthy. And uh, there are all sorts of statistics that show us how much money we have in comparison uh, to people in other parts of the world. And so this applies to all of us. Just by our Orange County people, L.A. people, uh, the way that we live, we have to be also very careful of this. And we learn about the two responses of wealth. And the negative response that affects all of us is greed. Uh, greed is a spiritual problem. Right? And it's something that we all deal with. And then the positive way we ought to respond is generosity. And um, uh, really is gratitude uh, for God's generosity, rather. It's gratitude. So we have greed and gratitude as kind of our two big parts, our lessons today. Um, there was, you know, when I was growing up, uh, before the internet and all of this, I, the, one of my favorite games was this. You know, this is our Monopoly board here. Some of you recognize that. Now, this exposes a lot about the heart of even a child when you're playing this. Because it's all about gathering money, right? And we all used to do funny things with this. I would sometimes hide, like, the $500 bills so that my friends couldn't see it. And so they thought I had less, but then I would spring the money on them. Also, uh, go back to the board there. Uh, you see that. The most coveted area was that royal blue and the emerald green. You did not want that 
poo-poo color like, you know, Arctic and Mediterranean or, you know, the washed out, you know, Oriental. You didn't want Oriental, right? I mean, it was just, that part was no good. So even when you are buying property, it, maybe you, you're going, whoa, I'm not like that. Well, I was like this. I was like, I just need to get, I want to get Boardwalk Park Place. I want to get at least a green. I'll take yellow, red maybe, but man, when it comes down to orange and the others, I, I didn't want it. And I would indirectly look down on those who would buy that. Oh, how much is rent? 80? Here's 100. Keep the change. You know, like, hey, and then they come to Park Place. Oh, you better pay up. Not only do I have four houses, I'm going to build a hotel there, and you're going to owe me. This is a four or five-star property. You're going to owe me big. And the joy of taking your siblings, your brother's money, and they're bankrupt, and they have to give you everything. And you're saying, I only buy for half the price. And so you take it all, right? You could, you could keep the utility. I don't want the utility. Anyway, so um, all of us have experienced something like that. Okay, we could take it down from here. Um, but uh, there was a Pew Research done on countries outside of America and their perspective of Americans. What are some negative things about Americans? The number one thing that uh, people said from outside of America was that Americans were arrogant. And number two, 52% said that Americans were greedy. And those things, you could probably say it, it's one, it, they're very connected. And so from the world's perspective, and we might be blind to this, we are arrogant, greedy people just by where we live. And so just by who we are, we have to be also very careful. Because greed will sneak up on us, and the moment we get there, I heard someone say, the moment you get to the top, the first thing that you do is you look around. And you feel like, oh, I just moved into my dream neighborhood, but look at that house up the street. They have uh, an extra room. Oh, I just bought this car that I really like, but look at that car. has more options, has more uh, letters behind its name or whatever it is. The moment we get to the top, all we do is look around, and we probably look up, and greed is our problem. So from this story, we're going to look at this uh, uh, lessons on greed and then obviously on gratitude. So here's what's happening. Jacob has served 20 years. Seven years, he thought for Rachel, but it ended up being given Leah. He was, he was conned by Laban, his future father-in-law. So he serves another seven years. And during those seven years, he was very blessed and productive. And so Laban became a very rich man. One part of it, I think Jacob was, as we talked about, was trying to impress the girls. He was trying to impress the pretty girl, and so he was working hard for Rachel's sake to win her over. And so he served 14 years, and now they, it's this whole crazy dysfunction of all of them having kids, as uh, John talked about last week. And so now they have all these children, and now they have Joseph finally, and it's time after 20 years, two full decades of working for Laban, time to go back home, time to fulfill God's blessing here of creating a nation, the nation of Israel. It's time to go back. And he goes up to his uh, father-in-law and he says, hey, I'd like to go back. You know, you've made a lot of money because of me. And he says, the one thing I ask is some of the sheep uh, that's uh, speckled and that's kind of looks uh, uh, dirty in a way, can I have some of those? I'll take those as my possession." It doesn't tell us exactly how many or what percentage, but maybe let's say it's 10%. And 
And maybe he's got, uh, you know, hundreds, and it's maybe 10%. Can I just take those with me for my livelihood? And what happens is Laban says, okay, and they agree upon it. And the moment that happens, Laban now takes a bunch of those speckled, striped sheep, and he, he has his own son take them away, and he hides it. He steals from them again. And then after he steals from him, Jacob now, using old uh, superstition technology, if we could say, you know, he, he put all these sticks in and they put white stripes on it. So he says when they were mating, if the, the, uh, the female looked at the white, it would maybe put a stripe or a dot on the embryo. And that's kind of a superstition of the day. So they did that and he had many more and he left. It's kind of a, a random story, one that we often overlook. But in it, we learn this lesson about what to do with our wealth, and the negative way is greed. Uh, greed, number one, there's a couple lessons. Greed, number one, greed will make us try to use God instead of being used by God. Greed, people who are greedy, view God as now some sort of genie in the bottle. What can I get? What can you help me with? Instead of saying, God, what do you want me to do? You look at, unfortunately, um, throughout all of my years as a pastor, I've seen so many books, and the top sellers of so many books, oftentimes it's about how to basically manipulate God to get the best life you want now. How to say a certain prayer in a certain way, then if you say it this way, or if you walk this way and say it, and if you follow these now uh, magical, secret, mystical plans, God will give you bigger house, uh, a better spouse, uh, uh, healthy children that are will go to Ivy League and you will have all these things and that was this kind of idea and so God is being used and the public they are the number one sellers and this is what we see here greed tries to use God instead of being used by God even Laban some quote-unquote spiritual medium, someone that's going to tell him the future, someone that's going to read his palm, someone that's going to have certain magical cards that's going to tell you what numbers to buy. He uses divination, and even through that, he learns, oh, the Lord has blessed you through Jacob. And that business is still around today, where people will go, what's my lucky number? What's my lucky thing? Where should I go? What should I do? And then we're looking for something to get by. And he learns that Jacob is favored by God. And so he's the source of all of your riches. And so now he is thinking of how can I use God? How can I keep Jacob around? I don't want him to leave. If he leaves, I'm going to lose everything. And he sees now God as a source of blessing of the things that he has versus God being the possession that he wants himself. Lord has blessed me because of you. G.I. Packer had talked about this. Um, he calls it the old gospel and new gospel. Old gospel meaning biblical. The new gospel means all the stuff that's out there today. And in a forward to a book on the, uh, this is what he says. Uh, one way of stating the difference between it and the old gospel. Old gospel is the true gospel, let's just say, okay? Is to say that it is too exclusively concerned to be helpful to man, to bring peace, comfort, happiness, satisfaction. Too little concern to glorify God. The old gospel center of reference was unambiguously God. But in the new gospel, the center of reference is man. 
Whereas the chief aim of the old was to teach men to worship God, the concern of the new seems limited to making them feel better. The subject of the old gospel was God and his ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help God gives him. We easily and often forget who we are praying to and who we are inside of God because of the things that we keep asking God to give us. We forget in our prayers, who am I talking to? If you're rattling off a list and you have a good memory and you're saying, God, I need this. God, I need this new promotion. God, uh, please help my daughter to get into this. Please help my son to do this. God, you know, please watch over my, my mom. She uh, needs more help. And you just have a list of things. It is easy to forget who the giver is. It is like the little toddler on Christmas morning opening all the presents and forgetting who gave you what. And the mom is writing it down. Okay, that's from auntie. Okay, that, that toy's from grandma. You got to say thank you. You got to say thank you. Because it is the child that is focused on the gifts. And oftentimes we approach God in this way. So greed, we have to be also very careful. It will subtly sneak up on us and we will want to use God instead of being used by God. Secondly, greed is insatiable, just by its definition. It's not enough. The moment they shake hands and agree, Laban says to his own sons, go and take a bunch of these uh, spotted ones away. Verse 35, but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of, the, of Laban's flock. The moment they shake hands, he says, take him away. He's already confessed through the source of divination, you got all this because of him. God has used Jacob and blessed your wealth. And the moment he says, I'll give you some, it's not enough. He says, take him away. Three days journey, a city away so that they will never, he will never see them. So they will never mingle. Keep them away and bring them out later. Greed is insatiable in this way. And so let's say if he had 10% of them left and out of the 10%, maybe he took half away. And so now if Jacob were to take 10%, now it's down to half, maybe less because he's taken even those away. The word greed comes from the old English word gradig. Gradig literally means always hungry for more. Always hungry for more. I can illustrate this in so many ways, even in my own life, but I'll confess to you. Before COVID, I remember being at drive through at Starbucks, and my usual drink is a pike uh, with some half and half, and that's about it. There's a lot of things on the menu, but I determine if I want to get it by the number that's next to it, right? Not the calorie, but the price, right? No, oh, five, six dollars, and so on. Anyways, this day, so I go and I order my drink. I'm still half awake, and I get to the front, and, uh, you know, perky young girl that's working, oh, you know, here you go. Hey, it's, your, it's a good day for you. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, calm down. I didn't drink my coffee yet, right? Um, and she says, the guy in front paid for your drink. It's been going on all morning. Initially, I was so grateful. 
right? I was like, oh, what? I was like, this is great. You know, I just saved $2 or whatever it was. Oh, that's nice. I'm, oh, I can't even thank him. Oh, man, you know, and, but then right after, <laughs> what comes to mind? I should have ordered the $6 drink. I should have, man, I should have got a sandwich. I could have got that mozzarella cheese thing for lunch. Oh, man. I, and then the next thing is, is there someone behind me? And you look, oh. And now she's looking at you like, it's been going on all morning. <clears throat> Let's just take it. All right. And they ordered, it wasn't just the tall pike, it was something else. And now I'm driving away going, why did that guy have to pay for me? Like, why did he do that? I wish I just paid for myself. It's a net loss. And this is what greed does to us, you know. <laughs> like a $6 coffee. I could have gotten the Frappuccino. Um, boy, our hearts are so, so susceptible to greed. In 2 Peter 2.14, there's a little phrase talking about people who don't know God. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Their hearts are trained in greed. Gumnazo is the word train. You get the word gymnastics or gymnasium. It's literally exercise, right? They are practicing greed in their hearts all the time, 24-7. So the moment I get a free coffee, the first thing I think about is, oh, why didn't I get something else? The moment I now receive something free, I'm thinking, oh, do I have to pay for something else? Is it a net gain or net loss? And we're thinking about those things. It is insatiable. It keeps going and going and going. Uh, thirdly, greed. Greed, its priorities are completely uh, upside down. You would think our priorities in life, God, people, and the things that we have. Greed flips it. And before we know it's the things that may be people and maybe God in second or third it's the things that matter now let me remind you when Laban is taking all these sheep and hiding them Laban is dealing not with just a stranger or a business partner these were his two daughters these were his two daughters his son-in-law and his grandchildren and he was placing the things over them you would think a good grandfather would say, no, you take it all. You take it all. Go, you take this. And maybe you have parents or grandparents like that, and it's a blessing. But yet, when greed kicks in, it could take something that is so obvious in a relationship like that and change it to the point where I will forsake people, I will forsake God, because I put the things of life first. If you ever caught yourself saying, I'm not going to see that person because I got to buy him lunch. It's going to cost me. I bought him twice already. And you're keeping tabs. And you say, that's a net loss. I'd rather keep the money than to go sit with that person that's going through a difficult time. Um, and this is what's happening here. Ephesians 
speaks about the people um, who are greedy, who don't know God. It says, they have become callous. There's that phrase, they have become callous. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Uh, the NIV translates it, having lost all sensitivity. Having lost all sensitivity, they are full of greed. When we become full of greed, we lose all sensitivity. I was listening to a podcast recently, and they were interviewing, you know, about greed and money. And one of the things that the, the researcher was talking about, all these very wealthy people, from the Bill Gates to the Elon Musks and so on. And they're saying, well, they have a lot, but would you accept everything else that comes with a lot? Um, and he was talking about one of them and that they worked something like 14 years without taking a day off. And it wasn't like this, they came home at five or six. It was they would work till 11, they brought it home. It was all about it. They said, would you take it? Because the average person wouldn't do that. All of a sudden, work, because that gives me things, become more important. I can't go to church. Why waste my time there when I can go and earn a little bit more money? The world still looks at, and I catch myself sometimes even questioning, oh my gosh, Chick-fil-A if they were open on Sunday. I would go and give them money. I would buy it. I have been in the drive-thru excited for a second at Chick-fil-A thinking, oh my gosh, there's no line. And I go, oh, it's Sunday, right? Oh, God bless Chick-fil-A. And then nowhere else to go. But the world was say, they're losing out on so much. And we often think of it that way, and we lose out on things, we lose out on people. The priorities get flipped upside down. And just for sermon illustration, I was looking up stories of people who, who would murder someone for insurance money. And there were so many, I, I couldn't figure out what to share. But there was one in particular, a story of a young lady, uh, Vicki Gillette, was murdered by her husband for a claim, insurance claim that he had put on her was $27,000. And then so they thought, oh, he couldn't be that dumb. It's only $27,000. And then he ended up getting married 11 days later. So they said, well, this is kind of fishy. He is that dumb. And he did put out a, a, a claim on her life for $27,000. How dumb could someone be? But this is what greed does to someone. That I'd rather have $27,000 than my spouse, than my child, than my loved ones. And this is what greed does. And this is a spiritual condition we have to address. The antidote to this is the gospel. It is our gratitude to God. The moment we are grateful to God, uh, it is saying that God gets all the credit. Everything I already have, he has given to me. Uh, gratitude the, to the generous God. We got to think about his generosity. He, God, is described in this way in verse 30. For you have had little before I came. This is Jacob. This, for you have had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. He is saying here, um, the credit goes to God. His proper name, capital L-O-R-D, to Yahweh. He's the one. It's not me, it's him. 
Now, I'm not saying this is a life lesson from Jacob. It's a life lesson of how God worked through Jacob, because Jacob was still in progress. But through Jacob, he shows him the generosity of God himself, that it increased abundantly. Let me ask you this. What do you have that you have not received it ultimately from God? What do you have? What are you proud of? What have you, quote-unquote, earned that if you pause and just go two layers, you say, it's all from God. Are you proud of your children? I mean, God gave them to you. Are you proud of your health? Oh, man, and at age this, I can still do this. Well, it's God's given you your health. Are you proud of where you live and what God allowed you to live here? You could have been born in a different part of the world easily, in a different time in history. In everything we have, it is God who is given to us. And maybe you're proud of your looks. You're 40 and people think you're 20. You get excited, right? I got carded, right? <laughs> I remember when Pastor Paul was with us and we went to watch a movie, he got carded for a rated R movie, right? And um, I was tempted to say, no, he's with his dad, don't worry. Let's just... <laughs> Um, didn't happen. But we think of it this way. What do we have that we are so proud of that isn't given to us by God? So we have to have gratitude for God's generosity. Secondly, we have to be, have gratitude for the grace of God. This whole story is about God's grace. Jacob was not deserving. Laban is not deserving. Uh, these two were trying to rip each other off. And it's in the midst of that we see God's grace. Jacob does something, as I mentioned in, in the beginning. It says in verse 37, this is what he does. He took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the stick. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. So the flocks brought forth stripes and speckled and spotted. So there was a belief, right? Um, and Derek Kidner talks about this in this commentary. He says, in displaying the striped rods at breeding times, Jacob is acting on the common belief that a vivid sight during pregnancy or conception would leave its mark on the embryo of the animal. So it was this idea that... As they're mating and they see a white stick, that somehow that would now be a flash and it would leave a mark on the embryo. Moses records this ancient foolishness. All of us read this now. And I was reading this, this didn't work. I was like, well, what's the point of this? But I think Moses, through God the Holy Spirit, recorded this so that future people, people like us, would read this and say, obviously this didn't work. But yet God granted him so many spotted, speckled, that he became rich when he was leaving. Obviously this method didn't work. And this is what the gospel is. We've come to God with all of our innovation and our cleverness and our work, and we say, God, don't I deserve something? And yet God is not blessing us because we are so creative. God blesses us because of his grace. This is the gospel. And he gives us all that we need and more in Christ. 
at the end of it in verse 43. Speaking of Jacob, thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. Commentator said it was like having a fleet of Cadillacs when he had this at the end. He was supposed to walk away with a dozen or a few dozen dirty, speckled sheep. And he now has male servants, female servants. He has um, donkeys and camels. And he walks away. What is this telling us? This is the grace of God in Christ. We bring to him our quote-unquote good deeds and our good works. And we try to do, this is what religion is today. It's our way of trying to appease God to gain something. If I prayed a lot, maybe God will give me this. If I fasted today, maybe God will give me that. But yet the gospel story here is, is oh, you might be thinking this is all I'm hoping for and God gives us so much more. And this is the gospel message. Acts 20, 24 has a little phrase at the end, the gospel of the grace of God. This was kind of my life verse when I was coming into decided to go into ministry. I do not account, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So what we have in Christ is not just the little things that we have conjured up or earned or deserved. What we have in Christ is way more. The quote-unquote, the donkeys and the camels and everything and every spiritual blessing that we did not deserve, he gives to us. And if karma were true, he would have nothing. Laban would have nothing. But God's grace is abundant. Gives to us so much more. And so we give thanks to him for everything. Let's pray together. Lord, our hearts wander, and we think often of the things that we want or don't have. But yet, Lord God, we have so much in you. So, Lord, would you bless us, remind us of this truth. Would you help us to give thanks in all that we have, Lord God? We have it all in you, Jesus Christ. All that we have much more than what we deserve. Lord, this is your grace, God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.